What's happening, doctor? He's going into a coma. The infuser will keep his oxygen level stable for the next hour or so, but after that, he'll die. His lungs have been removed. Welcome to another episode of Delta Flyer. I'm Stuart Hollis. And I'm Thad Haight. And this week we're going to talk about Season 1, Episode 5, Phage. Indeed we are. Indeed. So our synopsis from TV Guide. Neelix's lungs are harvested by aliens intent on collecting body organs for their own purposes. And the doctor must use untested methods to keep him alive. Because if they hadn't said body organs, we would have thought they meant musical instruments. Uh, yes. I... <sighs> I hit on that too when I was when I was copying down the synopsis. It was like, did you have to say body organs? <laughs> you know what? Screw it. Just call them sweet meats. <laughs> entrails. Your insides are out. Your outsides are in. Your entrails will become your extrails. <laughs> <laughs> so memory alpha is pretty similar. Neelix's mm-hmm. lungs are removed by a race that suffers from a deadly phage that is slowly destroying their population, prompting them to harvest replacement organs and tissues from other species. Hmm. So I noticed something. Mm-hmm. I pronounce that word like the aliens did. You pronounce that word like Janeway did. <laughs> okay. How did the aliens pronounce it? Phage. But it... No, it should be phage. I had always heard it pronounced phage. Inclu- I mean, obviously including on this episode, but like up until that point, I'd also heard it pronounced in other things as phage. Alright. I'm listening to Google. Google says phage. I wonder if this is like a British versus, versus American pronunciation thing. Well, the British sure as heck wouldn't say phage because they wouldn't want to sound French. Ooh, so that's what it is. It'd be a French versus English pronunciation thing. Yes, in French it would absolutely be phage. Well, it would be phage, actually, in French. Well, let's not get way too into the weeds. Now I'm wondering if there are any PH words in French. That aren't, like, borrow words? Yeah, like, I'm wondering, does PH exist? I don't even know. I can't think of any off the top of my head, but that doesn't mean there aren't any. It's been, you know... What's philosopher in French? Ooh, okay, you're right. There we go. Then yes. What's... Well, I guess... Yeah, I guess, like, other Romance languages, like, photograph would be with an F. Yes, it would. Yeah. But anyway. philosopher, yeah. Philo- well, I don't know philosopher, but philosophy is... Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, there we go. So, anyway. So, in this episode, they are running out of dilithium, apparently. Yeah. And there are no nuclear vessels from which they can steal energy. They have to re-energize the crystals. Right. And Neelix has told them about a planetoid from which they can get... More dilithium. So how is this rogue planetoid a class M? Based on... So, just after someone, probably Kim, saying... It also looks like there's a series of subterranean caves with an oxygen-nitrogen atmosphere. Class M. That's not entirely true, though. Well, Chakotay has been out of Starfleet for a while. Because we can also breathe um, class L, I want to say. There's one that's like has a thin atmosphere and is like but it's still breathable. This they encounter one of those on DS9. Uh, okay. Hold on. I'm sure Memory Alpha has like a whole article on. That. Oh, probably. Like probably has 5 or 6 actually. As many articles as there are classes of planets, I'm sure. Yeah. 
Yes, uh, uh, there are multiple. There are multiple requirements for class A. It must have an atmosphere containing large percentages of nitrogen and oxygen. It must have a surface abundant in water, geologically active. So I don't know if this rogue planetoid would classify as class M then. But if it, it also must uh, have an ecosystem that that is sustain is capable of sustaining life. I mean, all we see are the caves below the surface, so maybe... Right, and if it has an oxygen-nitrogen atmosphere, that must mean at one time it had life. Otherwise, where did that oxygen and nitrogen come from? The aliens who have turned it into their little hiding spot? I feel like if it had an artificial atmosphere, that would be... They would, like, notice that? But maybe not. They thought there was dilithium, and there wasn't any of that, so... Uh, Right, no, because it was all the, like, the energy systems that the aliens were using like they, they detected the dilithium signature from that but not the tunnel network that the aliens had built which is surprisingly the exact same style of tunnels used by the caretaker whoa wait were they yes this is a no, reuse of the set wow it's still early from the root cellar when they yeah yes so anyway i'm not sure that this counts as a class m planet okay but let's go back to the ship. Yeah. Because I want to talk about how gigantic Janeway's private dining room is. Yeah. Also, I want to talk about how it's kind of weird that, like, I could understand there being, like, a room to, like, host dignitaries or whatever, or, or guests, or, you know, if she wants to have dinner with some some of the crew. But it's weird to me that she would just, by herself, go to the private dining room to eat her rations. Instead of just, like, using the replicator in her ready room. Well, she can't use the replicator. She has to use her rations. Okay, but you get what I'm saying. I do get what you're saying. And I'm also thinking of, from Enterprise, how small and intimate uh, Archer's private dining room was. Well, yeah, everything was small and intimate on Enterprise. Sure, but I feel like the NX-01... And Voyager are probably not that different in size. I mean, Voyager Voyager's probably considerably bigger than the NX-01, actually. I mean, what's considerably bigger? I mean... NX-01 had a complement of 83 humans, one Vulcan, one Denobulan, and one dog. Okay, that's not what complement means. (laughs) That's its roster. And they're not even counting the all the. If they're gonna count the dog, they should also count all the creatures that Flox in Flox's lab. Yeah, <laughs> approximately one third of the crew was female. Okay, oh, I don't care about any of this. <laughs> what, like, what was its like length from stem to stern? <laughs> well, that's not listed. But I bet if I go to the NX class article, oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The NX class has seven decks, crew complement of 83, and it is 225 meters long. Okay. Voyager has 15 decks, crew complement of 144, but I don't know its length, and I'm going to ballpark it at 250? Okay, yeah. It is 344 meters long, 15 decks, 141 crew. Okay, so it's like three times... Okay, yeah, so Voyager is considerably larger, you're right. Because I'm thinking, compare quarter size. Archer's quarters, and presumably, 
if anyone would have larger quarters, it would be Archer. And they are, because uh, actually uh, the crewmen bunk more than one in a room. But Archer's quarters are tiny on Enterprise. They're very, I mean, well, tiny as compared to other captain's quarters that we've seen. He's not, I mean, They're it's smaller not... than my bedroom. It, sure. <laughs> but, like, there's enough room for him to have, uh, like, another person or two in there and it not feel like they're, like, standing on top of his head or anything. Like, there's... Practically, though. There's not a uh, yes, lot of room yes. in there. Whereas, I mean, you know, Janeway has enough room to just sort of, like, wander around in her nightgown. Yeah. And, like, has a couch. <laughs> right, yeah. Janeway's, Janeway's quarters she has a are... suite, you know? Yeah, very similar, similarly sized to quarters on, like, the Enterprise-D, for instance. Right. So, yeah, it does seem... It's not that surprising to me that the dining room is bigger. It's just weird to me that she would be using it normally. Like... That she would be going into this big room all by her to sit at the table all by herself that she just uses to eat her meals in. Uh, yeah, I think she needs all those tables to spread out her pads. Huh. Okay. Now, obviously, it's just the galley part that's the dining room. The it was always the mess. The mess hall was still there. It's still a separate room. Okay, so you're saying that what will what well, well, what is now Neelix's galley? Was her private dining room attached to the main mess hall, yes. and he like tore down the walls? Or there may have been a, it may have been a divided. It, he talked about how he had to reroute power through. Con- he may very well have done some wall changing too. Okay, okay. I mean, we never see what it looked like before he went to work, so I'll allow it. Yeah, I'm, I'm betting the officers' mess was already there. So you think that was officer's mess, and then her di- and then her private dining room was inside that? Memory Alpha says it was officer's mess. Okay. Well, because, I mean, she had made the point of saying... This used to be my private dining room. No, the room that Janeway went into. Because you notice the door went right into the kitchen, not into the area where everybody was at tables. I did notice the door went right into the kitchen, but it wasn't the kitchen before Neelix got to work on it. Right. The kitchen was Janeway's dining room. Right, but the kitchen is open air adjacent to the dining room. We're spending a lot of time on this. Okay, hold on. <laughs> the kit- There is clearly a wall, though. There's like... It's like a breakfast. There's like a doorway and a window, but there it's clear... You can... St- it's still a... Cl- it's still a separate room. Okay, just because there is, like, a support beam there. I'm saying that Neelix <laughs> cut some holes in the wall is what I'm saying. Oh, no, he totally did. <laughs> <laughs> but, yes, anyway, we probably are talking about this private dining room a little too much. Did you did you catch uh, Harry's eye roll when Neelix joined them on the uh, turbo lift? Mm-hmm. And I definitely caught Chakotay's look when... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And then Chakotay's constant, no, Neelix, listen to what I'm saying, on the away mission as well. Neelix is very bad at taking orders. Yes. Yes, he is. So, yeah. I have a question. This is from farther in the episode, but how how does Tuvok know what a Kazon liver is? When did they have a Kazon that they were subjected to medical scans? That had not occurred to me. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. Like if if he had said like this appears to, it does they do have what appears to be part of a Kazon, I would allow that. I mean maybe. 
I would allow that more than him being able to straight up say it's a Kazon liver. <laughs> sure. My other question is, so Akampa live, like, what, 12 years? I think so. So is Neelix going to need another lung in, like, less than a decade? I would have to imagine that these aliens, or, like, the Vidian, the Vidians, right? Yes. Yeah. The, the Vidians, whatever they did to Kess's lung to make it compatible with Neelix's physiology, that Neelix's physiology is going to take it over and it's not going to... Just because uh, Okampa die after 12 years doesn't necessarily mean that like their lungs fail or anything like I that. I suppose that's true. And aging is weird and we don't fully understand it. But for a lot of the time, it's not necessarily... It's a problem of cellular division. It can be, to my understanding. But it's honestly a problem of just, oh, well, just your your lungs quit. They got a 85-year life, or 850,000 miles, whichever comes first. I suppose that makes sense. Yeah, it, it, it's not like, you know, there's the things that it's this weird comparison where someone was making the point that such and such creature, like, say, like a hummingbird, whose heart beats a thousand times a minute, that number is intentionally wrong and exaggerated. Right. Uh, whereas a human's heart beats on average 60 to 100 times a minute. And obviously hummingbirds live a lot shorter lives than we do. And if you do the math, it works out that every mammal gets X number of heartbeats in their lifetime. It's like, it's not like there's an actual clock on it. It's not like the heart's ticking over. It's like, well, 100,000 heartbeats, guess I'm done. Or probably you know, obviously much much higher but you know what i'm saying like, it, it doesn't have like a clock on it yeah that's fair it'll it, like it can keep going if other things don't fail along the way yeah because i suppose yeah that's how like organ donation works anyway right you know like 85 year old person can donate their kidney and the kidney is still functional for more than three years yes although this is something that i know a little bit about Yes. They they do only they they won't give an 85-year-old's kidney to someone in their 20s for instance. But they would give an 85-year-old's kidney if it's healthy to someone in their 60s. Okay. But they wouldn't do it or it certainly wouldn't be the first choice and especially because you can live indefinitely without kidneys. Uh obviously you need dialysis, but it's that's something that we have gotten pretty good at supporting people without kidneys it makes their life a whole lot more difficult but yeah uh if only we had those pills yeah if only we had those pills but they wouldn't give it to someone in their 20s because they would need a new kidney again later in life okay interesting but yeah oh speaking yeah. of that uh, in the 21st century, we can keep someone alive for several days without lungs. So it's interesting that we lost that capability sometime in the next 300 years. Yeah, I was wondering when they were going to break the iron lungs out <laughs> for Neelix. Well, the iron lung isn't quite... Yeah, but <laughs> anyway. But no, uh, today, if someone needs a lung transplant and there isn't one ready immediately, but there will be one in the near future, or there may be one in the near future, we can keep them alive for about a week. Fascinating. Yeah. I had no idea. 
I didn't either. I looked it up. Now, I don't know what we could do, if anything, in the 90s if someone had no lungs. But at least today, mm-hmm. it is something that we can do. Nice. So that said, they had to, you know, throw in that 47 minutes. So, <laughs> right. But hey, you know, they weren't wrong. Neelix was going to be in that for the rest of his life, one way or another. Mm-hmm. So that's another thing. Yeah. If they can make holographic lungs... Why couldn't they replicate them? Yes. <sighs> yeah. Okay, and on that point... So, at one... The doctor tells Paris to bring him some sort of instrument or tool. I can't remember what it was called. Blood, oxygen, something. But he asks uh, Chakotay to bring it for him, actually. No, no, no. This is... The doctor talking to Paris, because then Paris goes looking for it. Get me a cytoplasmic stimulator. Uh, we don't have one. Then replicate one. Gives up after seven seconds. Oh, And says, yeah, I yeah, can't yeah. find one. The doctor says, then replicate one. Paris gives up after three seconds, turns around, and the doctor's like, the schematics are in the medical database. He's like, why can't Paris just call out to the sky, computer, replicate a dingus? On that on that note, why can't the doctor call out to the sky and say computer? Why did the doctor have to tell the computer to transfer Neelix's lung transporter schematics to console number four instead of just computer, dump it into my brain? Why does he have to talk to the computer at all? Why is it that like the computer's always active and like how how does inter like intraship communication work? Where it's this voice comes over bridge to Captain Janeway, and Janeway just doesn't do anything, just says the words back, and they hear her, and it's all instantaneous. And So when they say, because they kn- the computer knows that they just asked Janeway, so it immediately starts transmitting where Janeway is. Yeah, I, it just... I mean, we have, we have stuff like that now. I know, we have stuff that's <laughs> awfully close to that now. <laughs> yeah. Like I, like the thing I was talking to you about last night, where my phone knew that I wanted to go rent a Geostorm. How was Geostorm? Terrible. Yeah. But, you know, in exactly the way that I wanted it to be terrible, so <laughs> I enjoyed it. It was much more of a thriller than a disaster movie, though. I think I had heard that. I think I had also heard that it couldn't figure out what it was doing with itself. And I, I think at this point... You cannot use Ed Harris as the surprise bad guy in anything. <laughs> it just doesn't work. No one doesn't see that coming. Right. I'm just... Ed Harris is a great actor, but he does yeah, yeah. usually play bad guys. And I'm sorry if I just ruined uh, Geostorm for you. I think Geostorm ruined Geostorm. <laughs> <laughs> getting back to voyager <laughs> yes quite <laughs> but what did you think of uh chekhov's lung donation offer no no not that chekhov the other chekhov <laughs> right i mean it worked out yeah uh, yeah but we get pretty early in the episode kes offering up one of her lungs to save neelix and then again at the end of the episode mm-hmm. yeah no that was that was pretty good uh this episode is the first time, the first of so many, 
that the doctor says, I'm a doctor, not a blank. In this case, the blank is decorator. I'm a doctor, Mr. Neelix, not a decorator. Which is obviously a reference to the original series when McCoy would say, I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer or escalator or moon shuttle conductor, etc. Did he actually say all of those things? <laughs> he did, in fact, say all of those things. You, you, you didn't really think I would just pull Moon Shuttle Conductor out of my butt, did you? Well, I think I knew Bricklayer was correct, and I and I figured Moon Shuttle Conductor, but it was the one in the middle. <laughs> the escalator. You know, two truths, yeah, like two truths and a lie. <laughs> no, he does say escalator. And um, actually, over the course of Voyager, the Doctor says it many more times than McCoy did on the original series. So it's like some kind of catchphrase for him. <laughs> you could say that. <laughs> <laughs> Which we got like back to back within like 15 seconds of each other. But Lana saying some kind of power drain. Some kind of dampening field. So here's a question. Would you have noticed if I hadn't shown you that YouTube video a few years ago? That's impossible to say. I know. And because I don't know either, because I never, I never picked up on it before, but I don't know if I would have now. I mean, you're getting into Bader Meinhof territory. <laughs> yeah. All right. So if the Vidians have been affected by the phage, I'm going to say it that way. Bite me. For huh? two millennia. It's a long time. How are they still going? How like they steal a lot of organs, man. Clearly, like are like are the the two Vidians that we meet are they? How old are they? How long have they been going? Because the one guy, he's saying like it, it, there's Dareth and like Dareth the taller one with the blind eye, and I can't remember what the other guy's name is. It starts with an M, I think. Um, Motura, 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 and Dareth. So Motura was saying that he was like a sculptor or something. I think. Mm-hmm. When? Like, okay, how does so the they're not transmit? born with the phage. Yeah. Or if they are, the symptoms don't appear immediately. Okay. We will find this out later. Neat. Uh, the season two episode, Life Signs, will discuss a lot about the life of the Vidians. Okay. So how, like, so... So should we just not violate the Temporal Prime Directive then, and we'll just listen to that later? I don't... You don't remember, remember the particulars. <laughs> so, yeah, let's say we're not going to violate the Temporal Prime Directive. <laughs> it's very good for you. Otherwise, people from the Enterprise J would come back and... It's true. Man, the Enterprise J was an ugly ship. That's also true. But I bet those guys from Temporal Investigations are always on time. <laughs> you should have said, was that a joke? We don't like those. Temporal Investigators don't have a sense of humor of which they are aware. <laughs> Crossing the streams, but I'll allow it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so I have a fun fact about the production of the Vidians. Do it. Originally, they were going to be the Vaforans. Wait, what? I mean, what's the difference? Well, no two actor could pronounce it the same way. Like Phage? <laughs> yes, like Phage. Uh, they, <laughs> which I a little bit ago pronounced Phage because you got that in my head now. You're welcome. Anyway, uh, apparent, they had a problem with Vaforans or uh, Vaforans or however you pronounce it. V-A-P-H-O-R-A-N-S. 
Uh, man, with a pH in there? Yeah. Oh, so it could be Vaporance, for all we know. God. Oh. Apparently, yeah, they had a problem where no one was pronouncing it the same way, so they changed them to the Vidians. Uh, interestingly, when the D guy, whose name I've forgotten... Dareth. Yes. Says that they are from the Vidian... I think it's collective or no no it was like solidity like Totality it was a word or something no 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 it was this like weird like like portmanteau between totality and like solidarity like it was like solidity or something like that <laughs> there's no way it was solidity no no i'm like look it up i am sodality yeah okay i was hey <laughs> you were close you were close what the heck's a sodality? I I'm, don't. I like totally forgot to like write that down because that bugged me every time I watched this episode. It's got to be a thing. A confraternity. What? That's not a word. Or association. Just up stuff. Now. <laughs> Especially Jeez. a Roman Catholic religious guild or brotherhood. I totally buy a bunch of future Catholics being like <laughs> so self righteous. About like their need to continue that they would steal organs and from the dead when possible. Sure, yeah. A confraternity, a confraternity, is a brotherhood, especially with a charitable or religious purpose. Wow. Okay. So clearly, they didn't have dictionaries when they pulled sodality. Mm-hmm. Yes. Out of their hats. Goodness sake. They just wanted a different word. That meant group of people. Wow. So they had a thesaurus, but... (laughs) Yeah. So anyway, he actually says Vaforans, and they dub over Vidian. Oh, did they? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Because it was only when they were editing the episode that they noticed that no one was saying it correctly. Oh, okay, okay. So... So what did you think of the Vidians, uh, Ron Popeil special uh, tricorder? That is some interesting thing. What was that? What was that you just said that went right right away from my head? Ron Popeil? I have no idea who that is. Okay. It slices, it dices, it even juliennes. Okay. I mean, I I assume you're talking about like, uh, yeah, you're you're doing like standard infomercial stuff at this point, but I don't know Ron Popeil. Well, not just, what do you mean standard infomercial? Okay, so before there was uh, Billy Mays. Mm Mm-hmm. And the ShamWow guy. Don't forget Chef Tony for Miracle Blade. Okay, there was Ron Popeil. I don't remember Ron uh, Popeil. And Ron Popeil's thing was also that I want to say that he like, uh, like claimed to be the inventor of any number of the things that he was selling on the infomercial. He wasn't just the hype man. He was also like the brains behind whatever the dingus was. Mm-hmm. And like the one that was like, you know, like it slices, it dices, it even will julienne fries. Uh, thinking about them describing the Vidian tricorder slash phaser slash the lung transplanter or transporter slash DNA sequencer. It's like, what can't this thing do? See, oh, so that was probably, this makes me think of, and it was probably a reference to that, specifically Ron Popeil, probably. Uh, I'm thinking of the racist merchant from the beginning of Aladdin. Look at this. Yes. <laughs> Combination hookah and coffee maker. Also makes Julian fries. Okay. So, you're welcome. I just explained to you that joke. 
I always assumed it was just a, a spoof on normal normal infomercials. I didn't realize it was more specific spoof. No, no, it's a very specific spoof. <laughs> wow. Wow, that's amazing. I'm one of the thousand. You're, yes, you are one of today's lucky 10,000. <laughs> yes, it's 10,000. So, yeah, I mean, it's a tool that does everything. It was a G-Jaw. It was not a G-Jaw. <laughs> the G-Jaw doesn't do everything. G-Jaw describes a lot of most... No, but everything that it does, if that was an individual device, could have been described as a G-Jaw. Okay, okay, no, I, okay I, now, now I see what you're saying. Yeah, 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 okay. I'm going to talk about, you know, Dr. Pure Sass over there. And then they tell me there are no nurses, so I have no one to assist me. I thought Tom Paris was assigned to you. Like I said, no one to assist me. Yes! <laughs> and he slaps Paris, which gives which gives one of my favorite Voyager gifts of just the doctor slapping Paris. <laughs> yeah, hey Paris, what did the five fingers say to the face? <laughs> and again, we get back to the doctor shouldn't have had to tap some commands on a on the on the wall to change from solid to not solid. He should have just been able to like think to the computer, make me less solid. Uh, well, yeah, it, and. I mean, not to violate the TPD or anything, because that's saying temporal prime directive is going to get old really mm-hmm. fast. Um, but in a later episode, like just a couple down the road from here, he's able to change his state at will. But or oh, is that a function that they added just for like because of that mission? I believe they added it just for that mission. Well, not well, not just for, but because of. Yeah, there's a difference. Mm-hmm. Yes, I believe that was a function they specifically programmed into him for that. And I wonder if maybe... I suppose that Janeway's already had her conversation with the Doctor at this point about him having a little bit more autonomy. Yeah, that was in Parallax. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Or was it in time? Yeah, it was in Parallax. But I wonder if she and the Doctor had had any continued conversations... And would have had one between this episode and Here's a Demons, where he's like, and then there was that time that I slapped Paris in the face to make a point. <laughs> and I pressed, then I had to press all these buttons to make myself and non-corporeal. Once he had made himself non-corporeal, how was he able to press the buttons to make himself corporeal again? Oh. Oh. Unless, like, he was able to make everything but his hands non-corporeal? Well, maybe, no. yeah, maybe he just well, maybe he just made his head non-corporeal. <laughs> but that it was the perfect response to Paris. <laughs> yeah, slapping Paris is always the right idea. Yes, I... he's just a big walking hormone. Yes, coming at women at warp speed. <laughs> <laughs> yes, just a hormone walking around the ship. That's yes, that's absolutely a perfect description. <laughs> yeah. So this is the first episode where we see uh, what are apparently. They have a name. Hold on. Go on. Sims beacons. What? The little flashlights that they hold in, that they mount on their wrists. I've always loved those flashlights. Yeah. I I I I I have always been just like super jazzed about those flashlights. Okay, that's a strong word. <laughs> Not yeah yeah jazz is strong. I would love to have one like that though. Well, according to Memory Alpha. Uh, they were named for prop creator Alan Sims. In fact, if you buy his book, Star Trek Aliens and Artifacts, he tells you exactly how to make one. 
I bet I already have most. Like I bet I already have the supplies on hand. I have two according, small flashlights. According to the description, you can put one together from parts available at your local Seven Eleven. I don't know if I have a local Seven Eleven. Mm, then you may be in trouble. But anyway, this is the first appearance of those. Because uh, in TNG and the early seasons of DS Nine, they had these goofy things that they held in their hand. Yeah, I remember those. They were these like they had they had three beams. Like, big, blocky things. And they had, like, three stacked beams on them, as I recall. I think they just were... It was just the one big beam. Hmm. Am I thinking of a different sci-fi franchise? You could very well be thinking of a different sci-fi franchise. Hmm. Unfortunately, there is not a category for Starfleet flashlights on Memory Alpha. There should be. For shame. That's what I'm saying. Wait, there is an article for a flashlight. Never mind. So while while you're looking that up... The doctor asks Kess, have you ever considered a career in medicine? Getting away from the fact that the Okampa only live, that they have fairly short lives, apparently. Uh, Do people not from Earth consider careers? I don't know. So it's, it's called a palm beacon, and it's just the one light. Okay. I wonder what I'm thinking of, then. But I sent you a picture of it. Oh, yeah, I remember those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which was ridiculous, because they're so big and clunky and, well, ridiculous. Yes. I suppose they didn't want to ha- like make, like, headlamps for the people, because those are, like, the most convenient way to do a light, is a headlamp. Yes. Because then the light's always shining where you're looking, and your hands, your hands are, free. are free. Yeah, no, I I love my headlamp. Now, obviously, the Sims beacons are a better solution, because then they're mounted on the wrist, so at least you... Yeah, you, you you still have both of your hands free, so definitely a point in that column, but... The other good option is the way the... is the, the, the military flashlight that clips to your jacket. Yeah, but where would it clip to on a Starfleet uniform? Right. Right. Unless... The uh the combat becomes a super bright beacon of light. Well, you know, if it can, when being destroyed enough to activate the emergency thing, <laughs> but not enough to destroy it, if it can do that, then sure, why can't it also be a light? Right, exactly. They should have done the the military style ones on Enterprise. Ooh, because they had all yeah. those zippers and things. They totally could have done that. Yeah, yeah. So thinking about headlamps makes me think about. The heads of people on Voyager, which makes me think about... I think this is only on Voyager, and you'll correct me if I'm wrong. Oh, I will. Have you ever noticed that on Voyager, they have very particular... They have a very particular way of... um, With the haircuts of trimming the temples on the men down into a point? That is absolutely not a Voyager-only thing. That is a Starfleet thing that I don't know if it's used on Enterprise, but it's used on all the other Star Treks. I, 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 I guess that the reason I didn't notice it, especially on something like TNG, was, well, Picard is bald and Riker has a beard, so... Right, but Data has them. Uh, Did he? And so, yeah. Okay, okay. Uh, actually, I think the first time I noticed it was in one of the TOS movies. In- but okay. then I started picking it up everywhere. I'd only ever noticed it in Voyager, and then, like, I, I had, like, some sort of, like, weird blinders on, I guess, where, like, I only noticed it in Voyager and nowhere else. 
So it appears not to have been a thing on Enterprise. I'm looking at pictures of Reed, Tucker, and Archer right now, and they don't have points. So this is a Starfleet thing. A Federation thing. A Federation thing, yeah, you're right. Well, no, it must be well, it must be a Starfleet thing though, because the Federation wouldn't like require all their citizens to file their sideburns to points. Files the wrong word. <laughs> but, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah. But it's a Starfleet thing that wasn't adopted until the twenty third century. Now I'm trying to remember if it applies on Discovery, but it definitely applied on TOS. Okay. Probably a memory alpha article if I could know what the but it probably has like a special name that I would have to look it up with. This is this this has turned into the let's look at memory alpha to see what they say about the subject episode. It absolutely has, but it's gotten some interesting com- commentary, so I'm okay with it. And not to continue on that road, but what the heck's a Type Three phaser? Uh, phaser rifle. Janeway, when she continues in a in a in in the long tradition of Starfleet captains abandoning their ship to go down to deal with a problem firsthand. Okay, so it's a Type 3 phaser is a phaser rifle. The, Except the, none of them were carrying phaser rifles. I know, but that's what it is. The Type 2 is the hand phaser they carry around most of the time. Type 1 is a tiny little one that you don't normally see. Uh, they used it a bit in the early seasons of TNG, but ne- not really after that. Okay. Uh, on the original series, Type 1 actually clipped into Type 2. Ooh. Yeah. I'm not finding any good information on the sideburns other than a bunch of forum threads, people asking what's with the pointy sideburns. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, the pointy sideburns are totally a thing. Okay. And yeah, no, they, they're trying, this one article is trying to say that they applied on Enterprise, but I'm looking at this picture of Reed that they're trying to use in his example, and I'm like, no, those are not nearly as pointy as on the later Star Treks. Okay. Or earlier? Duh. It's complicated. Timey wimey. <laughs> yes. So I really appreciate in this episode, we're going to stop talking about the sideburns now. Okay. I really appreciate in this episode, uh, Kess, and th- and this is her thing throughout this whole season, and maybe the later, maybe you know, next season as well, but from what we've seen this season so far, at least. Okay, one more thing about sideburns, and then I am No! Done. No! They do have pointy sideburns on Discovery. Of course you didn't do it anyway. So, Kess continuing to push the Doctor and... Yes! Uh, with his personhood. Absolutely. I, I, I really like the dynamic between the two of them. It's probably my favorite pairing in the first season. I appreciate that Neelix talking about how he wanted to spruce up the ceiling wasn't just a throwaway line, and you actually do see fabric draped around later. And like a mobile. Yeah. Yeah. I understand why they didn't show us the ceiling, but I kind of wish they had shown us the ceiling. Yes. They didn't show us the ceiling because there is no ceiling. The ceiling was coming from inside the house. (laughs) (laughs) That's so stupid. (laughs) Yes. Yes, it is. (laughs) Oh. Um, the... Another interesting thing I saw in Memory Alpha... The mirror stuff was all CGI. You don't say. I thought it looked pretty good for 90s CGI. I wasn't sure if they had actually Well, until they fired the phasers. Well, okay. But the phasers are always CGI. They could have been rotoscoped. Hmm. 
They were they were CGI. I recognize that, but you said always. Okay. The phasers on Voyager are always CGI. Okay, but we're talking about the mirrors. Why did Tuvok keep keep calling them bulkheads and not just walls? Yeah, I don't know. I liked his I liked his exchange with Janeway just before they went into the asteroid. Why does Tuvok say sensors? Speaking of Tuvok. Yeah, just pronunciation things, I guess. Anyway, I'm sorry, I interrupted you. Go ahead. No, I, I was basically done. I just enjoyed his little exchange with the captain of, you know, like, suffice it to say, I've known you for a long time, I know what you're thinking. So, I just realized something. Was Torres in this episode? Yes. When? She told us that there was some kind of energy drain. Okay. And also, Neelix calls her Torres. Yes, he did. I noticed that. Which was weird. Because I know that the episode started with Chakotay talking about Torres. Chakotay. Yeah. Speaking of Torres. <clears throat> but this was certainly a very Torres light episode. Yes, and I think that was Seska there in the uh, in engineering telling Torres about the energy drain. Mm, because she's back in her proper yellow uniform. No, this was a woman in red, so maybe it wasn't Seska. It sounded like Seska, though. We don't. I don't think we ever get, like, a full shot of her face. It was always kind of from the side or from behind. But, like, her voice sounded like Seska. It was a woman. Uh, so this was during the mirror stuff? looked right. No, no, this was when they were having some kind of energy drain. When were they having some kind of energy drain? Just before the mirror stuff. Yeah, because Torres was in, investigating the, um, the G-Jaw. Yes. I don't know when the some kind of energy drain happened. Doesn't matter. Anyway. I, I think we've covered most of what I wanted to talk about at this point. Oh, no, I had another nitpick. Um, when they're in the cave. Yes. Uh, Janeway, <laughs> feeling the wall, is like, this part's warmer. And they scan it, and it's like, yes, it's two degrees warmer. Mm-hmm. Is that something you can feel with your hands? When I was an ensign, I could detect it. <laughs> Sick reference, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Torque sensors are out of alignment. By 12 microns. You could hear that? When I was an ensign, I could detect a 3 micron misalignment. <laughs> I was thinking of when they were in the cave shortly after that moment when her saying she's saying that the tricorder readings show that there was someone in this room ten minutes ago. What? Like, what? How? Yeah! I believe that the Vidian's fancy pants G-Jaw could detect that. And could even tell you what that person had for breakfast. Speaking of breakfast, <laughs> our, our, our good mutual <laughs> friend once for, served for me something that was much, much tastier than Janeway's ration pack number five, but similar. It was stewed tomatoes, and then he cracked Ugh. eggs into... Shut up. And then he cracked eggs into the tomatoes while they were stewing, cooking them to a perfect medium. It was delicious, and I wish I could remember what it was called. It started with an S, but it was, like, it was delightful and an excellent... I bet you could ask it, him. Well, not right now. Well, you could ask right now, you just won't get an answer. Yeah, but it was it was delicious, and was just what the nurse ordered. After a long night of partying. Mm. Well, 
when it comes to I, I I don't know that there are many people I know that I would trust more to know what to do for that because he does know his nutrition and he's no stranger to a long night of partying right well I'm I'm, I'm pretty much done no that that was it because we talked about the 2% temperature difference, we talked about the Kazon liver, we talked about Paris being a giant hormone. <laughs> we talked to, I, I mentioned the 47. Uh, so yeah, I think we're good. Okay. Well, we were uh, a little bit more meandery than usual, and definitely hitting the memory alpha a little hard on this one, but thanks for sticking through it with us. Uh, what are we talking about next week? Uh, episode six, the cloud. Excellent. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Gamicus. You can find me on Twitter at Tyrannicus. You can find the show Delta Flyer Pod on Twitter. We're also Delta Flyer Pod at gmail.com if you want to send us an email or anything like that. Uh, Delta Flyer com. It's just a website where you can find our show some more. There's nothing to it. We're on Facebook as well, Delta Fire Podcast, but we don't care about Facebook. We're at iTunes, Google Play, probably what other favorite podcast app you have other than Spotify. <laughs> yeah, and from there, you feel free to give us, uh, leave us a rating and or a review. Um, if you haven't subscribed already, please do so. Uh, tell your friends if they're into weird, meandery, nerdy conversations about Star Trek. And if you enjoyed this, check out our other podcast, Stargate Weekly, where it's all of this, but it's Stargate with a little bit of Star Trek. And, man, I barely mentioned any Stargate at all this episode. And we haven't mentioned... I'm losing my touch. We mentioned the Temporal Prime Directive, but we didn't mention Features End. <laughs> You're right, we didn't. Broke our streak before it started. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's true. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that.